read to you from Psalm 27, starting at verse 4. One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set, my, set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. And church, that's what we're here for. We're here to give God glory this morning. And as we're singing through this song, open up the heavens, and we're talking about God descending like a cloud. I'm, I'm realizing this is, this is really just imagery for our human souls because we know and believe that God is here in this place already. Amen? He is here with us. We are indwelt with his Holy Spirit. And here we are praising him and ascribing glory to him. And so let's stand as a church, as a body of believers, and let's give him that glory this morning.
fall, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. Though my heart may fail, my song will rise, my song will rise to you. While there's breath in my lungs, I will praise you, Lord. In the dead of the night, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. When the waters rise, I'll lift my eyes, I'll lift my eyes to you. She said, how are you doing? And I was just like, I want to be honest. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. And so we passed each other and we just kind of laughed. And then I came back and I told her, Stephanie, my screensaver here, lock screen, whatever this is called, says, rejoice in the Lord always. And this morning, <laughs> as I was reading my Bible and praying and drinking my coffee, trying to wake up, 
I had to go through the list. Like, okay, Lord, it says always. Your word says rejoice in the Lord always. And that means in this time. Rejoice in the Lord always means in this time. In this time, in this time, in this, always. <laughs> like, nothing is left out of that. Rejoice in the Lord. There is always something to praise him for because you know what? We have salvation in him because of Jesus. And that doesn't change regardless of our circumstances. Even if that sorrow that comes our way never, ever, ever leaves. Right, church? His salvation is here always and forever. And we can always have something to praise him for. I don't know, maybe that was all just for me. But we're here to praise him and keep praising him. And this song, I know some people hate it. That's okay. Because it just says over and over again, your praise will ever be on my lips. Ever be on my lips. But that's what we're doing, church. We're praising him always, always and forever. This is the command. Rejoice in the Lord always. So let's continue praising him this morning.
Oh Lord, make us have perpetual love and reverence for your holy name. For you never fail to help and govern those whom you have set upon the sure foundation of your loving kindness. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. Um, this morning, we just got a, for next gen moment, a little bit different. Uh, we're just going to take some time to recognize a few, uh, a few different things today. First, I noticed that Seth Payne is here with us. So Seth is home from the army for two weeks, right? Yeah, so two weeks. So make sure you say hey to Seth. It's good to see you, Sethy Poo. I haven't got to call you that in a while. Well, miss you. <laughs> it's great to see you. Um, we also do want to mention that we have had a couple of college graduates. We recognize our high school grads uh, a few weeks ago, but we had some college grads this week. Uh, Briley Green graduated from Ohio Christian University, and then McKenna Wilson uh, graduated from Mount Vernon Nazarene University. So, uh, yeah, definitely cheer for those. Maybe send them a card. Uh, gift card is always good. McKenna actually just uh, also, she's like, you better not put me on the spot. She, I was asking her some, uh, she just finished her board. She passed her boards for nursing. So, uh, that's pretty awesome. So she's now nurse or McKenna Wilson. Is it RN, BSN? Is that right? Yeah. I just guessed. So that was good. So, uh, congratulations. We're really proud of you all. Um, and then we also want to mention that today is Father's Day. And so uh, just like uh, a month ago when we recognized Mother's Day, we do recognize that there is a wide, broad spectrum of, uh, of feelings that Father's Day uh, may entail. But it is Father's, and we do have fathers, and ultimately we look to our Heavenly Father as someone who loves us. So in honor of our, our fathers, uh, I'm just going to read. I'm not one. I'm not a magician with words. And so uh, I found this poem uh, for Father's Day. And so would you just allow me to read this as we kind of recognize that uh, broad spectrum of feelings and things that may come up on Father's Day. We long for the perfect protection of a father, for strong arms that encircle us, hold us tight to a broad chest, a beating heart, arms that toss us into the air, screaming with laughter and a little fear, even though we know those arms will always catch us. From the moment we gasp our first breath of air, we long for the perfect father. We long for a father who sacrifices, who lays down his time to play games, read our favorite book one more time, or take a long walk and listen, who reaches into his pocket and pulls out a dollar for ice cream, who reaches deeper to provide a good home, good food, and good gifts. We long for a father who always protects always cheers and always sacrifices. Some of us are blessed to find bits and pieces of these longings met in human form, like sun through stained glass, a brilliant picture, illuminated by our Father who satisfies these longings. We thank God for fathers who protect, who encourage with strong words and strong convictions, fathers willing to sacrifice, striving to love. But some of us are grieving, grieving the loss of a good father or the lack of one. Some never knew their father's arms, and some bear scars on skin and soul, 
dealt from a father's swinging arms. At some point, all of us are left longing, lacking. No human father can perfectly satisfy. Look up and know your father in heaven. He gave you these longings, and only he can perfectly fulfill them. His strong arms protect. His words bring light and life. His perfect sacrifice draws us to his side, where we can hear his heart beating with perfect love for us. We celebrate our fathers on earth and our father in heaven. We give thanks for the longing, and we give thanks for the love. Would you pray with me? For fathers everywhere who have given us life and love, that we may show them respect and love, holy God, hear this prayer for our fathers. For fathers who have lost a child through death, that their faith may give them hope and their family and friends support and console them, holy God, hear this prayer for our fathers that mourn. For men, though without children of their own, acted like a father and have nurtured and cared for us, Holy God, hear this prayer for our father figures. For stepfathers who have assumed that role with love and joy, who have loved the children of another as their own and created a new family, Holy God, hear this prayer for stepfathers. For adoptive fathers who have claimed the orphan and loved the once unwanted as a precious gift from God, Holy God, hear this prayer for adoptive fathers. For fathers who have been unable to be a source of strength, who have not responded to the needs of their children and have not sustained their families, holy God, have mercy on absentee fathers. For fathers who struggle with temptation, violence, or addiction, for those who do harm and for those whom they have harmed, holy God, have mercy on fathers that struggle. For new fathers full of hope, for longtime fathers full of wisdom, for the fathers yet to be and fathers soon to be, holy God, hear our prayer for the fathers of your church. For those that have shaped our lives without any claim of family or kinship, for those who have taught us, guided us, shaped us, and molded us into servants of Christ our Lord, holy God, hear our prayer for the fathers of our faith. God our Father, in your wisdom and love you made all things. Bless these men that they may be strengthened as Christian fathers. Let the example of their faith and love shine forth. Grant that we, their sons and daughters, may honor them always with a spirit of profound respect. Grant this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So I thought I'd bring this as an object lesson. I'm, I'm not head of security now with uh, the musket. Uh, this is a musket that... Um, that, that hung over my mom and dad's fireplace for, um, I don't know, 40 years. Uh, before that, it hung over the same fireplace for another 50 years. That when mom and dad bought the house, the musket went with the house. And so this has a, a lot of personal um, connection to me, a lot of appeal. You know, it's a lot of value to me because of the personal attachment. I, I took it to a gun dealer to, to try to figure out, you know, when it was created or when it was made. And it doesn't have a lot of markings. It has a crown on it. It's the only marking that he was able to discern. And, and what he told me, I, I don't know if he was right or wrong, but he said that, that probably this gun dates to 
the War of 1812 or thereabouts, and that uh, it was probably originally a flintlock gun, and then uh, during or around the time of the Civil War, they, they converted it to this musket, so all right, so, so it could fire um, black powder. It's about a 44 caliber, so it's got a pretty big barrel, and, and that you know, after it was converted to a musket, they began with repeaters, and eventually it became uh, not able to be used and, and, um, and, or was not as useful, and so they just gave it to the guys, and they took it home. And so it has a lot of historical appeal. You know, I'm a historian. I'm a Civil War buff, and so really fascinating to me, and, and you know, I like to display it and, and, and just see it and handle it. And, and so, you know, he, he gave me a value, and it was worth about five or $600, is all he said. You know, I, it, you know if it was worth five hundred or $600,000, I'd probably have another object lesson for you. Uh, but it's worth about five or $600. Can, Chris, can you take this? Or I don't want to stand and hold this the whole time. Don't aim it at me, please. It's light. And so, you know, you all have stuff like that, that has... No, I switch, I switch, yeah. <laughs> I want you to get, yeah, we'll put a little, uh, so you can, um, there's value, you know, that has personal, sentimental value, you know, there, there's real value to things, and, or semi-real value to things, like houses and homes, and, you know, houses in Marysville, if you don't know, are worth a whole lot right now, and... I've suggested to Terry that we sell our house and live in a tent for a while, and she said, no. Um, you know, there's that kind of value. And then there's the value we attach to things for personal reasons, uh, like the musket. Uh, you know, who it came from, its history, you know, its connection to my family. And, and, and with people, it's the same, that, that, that people have value beyond what just they can bring to your life. Just what they add as far as monetary things. People have a value that extends beyond what they bring to you monetarily. And so we're working through 1 Thessalonians and and Paul's talking about the priority of people in the first three chapters and we've been dealing with this ideal that people are the priority of the kingdom. And so, through this series, we've, we've invited you to um, get name tags. Who's got your name tag on? All right, get your name tags on. We've invited you to linger a little bit after the service, since people matter. Uh, next week is New Life Sunday, and so we'll be doing baptisms and baby dedications. Uh, we'll do an all-in update. We'll, we'll do some new members. Uh, we're going to do communion, receive communion. You don't want to miss next Sunday. There, there's a lot that's going to go on. Uh, and, and maybe if you've joined us on live stream, maybe you've been waiting to rejoin, trying to figure out that perfect Sunday. Maybe next Sunday is that perfect Sunday to rejoin. And, and, and this is the day to come back. So we're looking forward to, as a staff, next Sunday as we celebrate New Life Sunday, as we celebrate All In, as we celebrate all that God is doing in our church. But people are the priority of the kingdom. And, and you see this through, throughout chapters 1 through 3. You can see the value that Paul places on the church, on the people of Thessalonica uh, from the beginning of the letter. He says, to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul's saying, this isn't just a group of people. This isn't just a community of people. It's just not an organization. This is 
the church. And it belongs to God the Father. It is founded in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and when we talk about the church of Thessalonians, it's our church as well. This isn't just an organization. It's just not a group of people. But this is the church of God the Father. The church founded in the Lord Jesus Christ. It has a value beyond simply the organizational value. He writes, For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. When Paul thought about the church at Thessalonica, he saw God's power at work, that, that this church was not created by his own strength, by, by his own teaching ability. This wasn't his organizational skill. It's not something that he had done, but God had chosen these people and God had formed this church. We're going to talk about chosen a little bit later in this service. My, my personal take on that ideal of being chosen, what, what we believe as a denomination, what we believe theologically. But Paul's saying, listen, you were chosen by God and you have been formed and created by God. Later on in chapter 2, he says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. They had received the word as if it was from God. They realized this wasn't based on what they had done, but was based on what God had done. So when you see these things, there's, there's two things that stand out, at least to me. God valued the people of Thessalonica. God chose them. He, he transformed them. He worked in his life. God was at work in the church because God valued them. And secondly, God was the source of their transformation. You know, they, they, didn't, they didn't just, you know, tighten their belt and, and, and think better, but, but God had provided the transformation. And we still believe God provides the transformation, right? This gives significance to how this letter begins. Listen to these first few verses. Paul writes, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember for God and, fa and Father, our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> for you know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how he lived among, we lived among you for your sake. We became, you became imitators of us and of our Lord. And for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> we thank God for you. Folks, I thank God for you. I'm thankful for you, what God has done in your church, in our church. We pray for you. Folks, I want you to know your pastor prays for you. Your staff prays for you. The church at Thessalonica 
was all about what God had done. It was a miracle. This church is all about what God has done. This church, you are a miracle. God deserved the praise and the thanks. God was the source of their future hope. Their hope was not in themselves, but their hope was in who? Jesus Christ. Since their hope was based entirely on God, since their transformation was dependent on God, since their calling was dependent on God, then prayer was central to Paul's ministry to the church at Thessalonica. So there's two things I want us to see that should guide us as we consider people as the priority of the kingdom and the importance of prayer. See, I believe this. Prayer reflects our dependence on God for transformation. When we pray, one of the things we're saying is, it's not about what I can learn. It's not just about reading the word. It's not just about the things that I do. When we pray, we are saying we are depending on God to save us. You realize that. We don't save ourselves. God saves us. We don't sanctify ourselves. God sanctifies us. We don't do these things on our own. God does the work, and we simply receive. You realize you didn't find God. God found you, and you simply realized that God was looking. Prayer also reflects this. Prayer reflects our belief that God values people. When we pray, when we pray for others, we are saying, when we pray for ourselves, we're saying this as well. We are saying, we believe, number one, that God hears. Prayer is this dynamic, faithful action that we take. And we're saying, we believe God hears. We believe God cares. And we believe God moves. That when we pray, God responds to our prayers. All those things are present in the action, the activity of prayer. And so the question I have for you is, are you praying for others? Or are you praying for others? I mean, this is honesty time. This is when we need to be honest with ourselves. Are you praying for others? Now, there's barriers, and these are barriers that that sometimes I have in my own prayer life. I mean, I, you know, I'm no different than you, that I, that I have to work through these things, that there's things that, that, that I need to work on. And, you know, God speaks to me through these sermons. I wish he wouldn't so much, but he does. One of the barriers is too busy. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I'll raise mine. There's times I feel like I'm just too busy. There's too much to do. We, we, we've all been there, and, and we need a change in thinking. I love this quote from Martin Luther. Martin Luther said, I have so much to do today that I'm going to have to spend three hours in prayer to get it done. <laughs> you know, that's a completely different way of looking at things. And, and, and can we be honest enough to realize that when we're too busy to pray, 
It's because we believe, we may not say this, but our actions tell us we believe this. We believe everything depends on us. That is based on my efforts. Tell, tell your neighbor, life doesn't depend on you. Tell them right now, they need to hear that. You know, life doesn't depend on us. God is the giver of life. And, and oftentimes, when we're too busy to pray, what we're saying is, God, I'm too busy to give you a chance. Let me take care of this. It reminds me, you ever, you ever leave a job and you think, when I leave this job, things are going to fall apart? And how disappointed you are when things don't fall apart? You know, we, we have this belief that everything depends on us and everything revolves around us. But folks, things don't revolve around us. It revolves around God. And life is sourced from Him. Prayer reflects our humble dependence on God. And when we don't pray for our own needs and for the needs of others, we're living as if we can depend on ourselves or we can't trust God. Maybe, maybe you're doing a good job of praying for those that are close to you, that, uh, you know, your family, maybe you do good, good with that, or, uh, or, or, or people that you're your friends, but where you struggle, and I know no one in this room has ever struggled with this, but the struggles with people that have offended you, or people that are different than you, or people that have a different political persuasion than you. Man, we, we live in a culture now where that's all over the place, right? We got some hard words from Jesus. Don't you hate it when Jesus gives us hard words? You have heard that it is said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? If you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father. You know, there's a lot in this passage. Uh, prayer for our enemies sets us apart. It, it creates within us, it, it shows us to be children of our heavenly Father. And, and prayer in this passage, according to Jesus, expresses love. It expresses the nature of of God, that, that our Heavenly Father pours out blessing. And in this passage, I want you to understand that the sun shining and the rain falling is blessing. That Jesus is saying, I want you to know that my Heavenly Father just pours out blessing on people. Rain and sun is blessing, and He blesses and blesses and blesses, and He blesses people that won't acknowledge Him, and He blesses people that do acknowledge Him. That's just the nature of our God. And Jesus is saying, you need to have the nature of your Heavenly Father, and you need to bless people. And one of the ways that you bless people is prayer. See, Jesus 
is inviting us to see people differently. Um, how do you see people? Not, not the people you love, not the people that you're close to, not, not, not the people that have the same interest and same likes and dislikes and shop in the same stores and wear the same clothes and listen to the same music and vote the same way. How do you see people particularly that are different than you? Many years ago, my grandma Moore has been dead now for nearly 30 years. Uh, probably 30 years this year. And, and she, was a, she was a Nazarene of Nazarenes. Uh, she was old school. Never cut her hair, never had TVs. If she saw playing cards in her house, it was a bad thing. Right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. But somebody was bashing Willie Nelson. You guys know who Willie Nelson is, you know, and Willie, Willie was really popular in the 70s, and, you know, he had the long hair, and he was the kind of hippie kind of guy, and they were bashing him. And I'll never forget, my grandma looked at them and said, listen, that's somebody's son you're talking about. <laughs> See, that's holiness to me. That's what holiness looks like. It sees people differently. My mom and dad, they still do their nightly prayers and they pray for all their kids. And, you know, it, it takes them because the family's expanded and mom can always find somebody else to pray for. And, and dad's just there with her. It's there, I think they're about 45 minutes at night before they go to bed praying for people. And not too long ago, mom was praying and she said, and Lord, can you just help Lindsay Lohan? <laughs> and, you know, my dad goes along, but he went, Who? Mom said, that Lindsay Lohan, I've been just seeing this stuff. I think she needs prayer. You know, that's holiness, folks. That, that, that's seeing people, not that my parents or my grandma was perfect, but they understood the value of people. And not that they always get it right or got it right, but that is how God sees people. He doesn't see Lindsay Lohan as, as somebody undeserving of love or care, but he sees someone as dearly loved who should be prayed for. Can we go back to that chosen word? I believe God has chosen all. That when the, when the New Testament uses this word chosen, it's just a reflection of what God's done, and they've accepted that chosen status. For God so loved the world that whosoever, I believe, God has chosen all. And the question is, what will they do with chosen? Well, when you see people... Do you see chosen? Well, when you see an enemy, do you see chosen? See, prayer reflects the value we place on people. And oftentimes, our prayer life or our lack of a prayer life for others shows we have work to do. Now, I want you to see two, two things that are really good this morning that, that we need to grab hold of. The, the first thing is this. Prayer is intentional. Okay? It, it's an intentional act. It's a choice that we make. Prayer at its essence does not have to be based on emotional feelings. 
but it's an act of obedience. That we say, God, right now I'm not feeling this. Amy wasn't feeling worship this morning, but she led. There's acts of obedience that we, we undertake. And, and so at its essence, prayer is this act of obedience where we say, maybe I don't feel it, but God, I'm going to do it. And prayer shapes. Let me ask you, does prayer move God or does it move us? I think it does a little bit of both. I believe praying for others increases our care for them. So the question this morning is, what, what is your next right step? What, what's the next thing that needs to happen on your faith journey? Um, you have cards in front of you. We can, can we, do we have a slide up there, Spencer, that you can show? You, you can respond like this. We, we have two or three ladies' prayer groups that are currently meeting. And we're trying to figure out how do we activate more prayer in our church. And, and one thought we had, or I had, was maybe have a prayer meeting. And, and, and then I was kind of checked on that because I, I see how effective our small prayer groups are. And what I think maybe the better course of action is, is to have multiple prayer groups meeting at different times. And so our ladies are open that are praying for more people to join their prayer groups. But we'd also love to, to create some additional prayer groups. So if you're interested in a prayer group, can you mark it on a card? Can you let me know? Can you see one, one of your, your staff members? Can you see Jessica? Where is Jessica in here? I think, yeah, Jessica, Stan, let me see you and wave. Jessica will help you. Sue, um, it, Sue's not in here. Linda is on our prayer team. You can see Stan, Linda, let me see you. I think Beth is usually in there. Beth, can you stand? Yeah, wave. Boy, that was a reluctant stand. <laughs> I'm not sure if I missed anybody in the, that's in here this morning, but, but see one of those ladies and, and see me. We would like to connect you to prayer. I would like to start. Why do men lag behind in this? Why do we, men? I'd like to create a men's prayer group. If you're interested in being part of my men's prayer team, see me. Mark a card. And the vision is this. What if we were able to cre create five or six prayer teams of six to seven people? And then once a month, all gather for a time of prayer. What could God do in our church through prayer? And I'll say this, and you'll all agree with me. We believe in prayer. Right? We believe that prayer is essential. Is your next right step to simply find a, a place of prayer with others? Our prayer teams want to know how to pray for you. So, so maybe on that card, you can put your prayer request you can drop it in the box in the back of the sanctuary as you leave. You can put it on this card from the screen. As looking at Right Now Media, which is free to you, if we have your email, we will give you a free account to Right Now Media. If you've not got that yet, please contact me. Let Stephanie know. Let one of us know. Right Now Media has several studies on prayer. That would be a good thing just to begin as you, as you begin to begin your journey into deeper prayer. Why does this matter? In the Old Testament, the priests were intercessors. 
And so God had a people, the people of Israel, and in the middle of this people, he put, he put the tabernacle initially. And in this tabernacle, there was these servants called the priest. And they were intercessors for the people. Next week, we're going to sing this song that's based on this verse. But, but as the people would leave, the priest would say, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. See, these intercessors were blessing givers for the people. In the New Testament, this shifts. In the New Testament, this isn't about a pastor. This is about a people. This isn't a few priests. It's not based on who you were, your parents were. It's about all of us. You know, I, I love, and it's district assembly week, and, and Friday night was ordination service. I love our ordination services. I mean, I, it, it, you know, I believe in the divine call. I believe I was called in the ministry. You know, don't, don't mishear me. But we can begin to think that this divine call is for a few and not all. The reality is, the call in my life is no different than the call in your life. That everyone in this room is called, and you are called to a priesthood. P Peter calls the church, you are a royal priesthood. A people of priests. So, so you stand with this awesome privilege to intercede for your family, your friends, your co-workers, your classmates, your neighbors, the Lindsay Lohans of the world. You stand with this great privilege to speak blessing through prayer on their lives. Even your enemies, even the ones who have offended you, God has given you this role, this divine call of intercessor to say the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. What would happen? What would happen in your family's life? What, what would happen at your workplace? What, what would happen in your school? What would happen in your neighborhood? What, what would happen in those relationships that are fractured? What would happen in our community if we really grabbed onto this ideal of making intercession for others. What could God do? Now I'll give you space to respond. I want to pull the lights down, and our altars are always available. Uh, you, you know, it, I just talked about prayer. And, and the dumbest thing I could think of doing is just praying and sending you home. <laughs> I think you need to have space. Our altars are available, and they're a great place to respond. And, and I'd encourage you, if God's speaking, to come forward to pray. Maybe you're praying for somebody else. 
Well, guess what? That's what we're talking about. Maybe you just need to come and make intercession for somebody right now at an altar. Maybe you need to pray with someone else. So I'd encourage you, respond. Listen to God. Be obedient. We're going to take a few minutes. I'm going to close this in prayer. I'm going to ask our teens that are going to build your kingdom um, on the mission trip, if you guys can come forward and, and kneel as well, as well. If you guys come on forward now, yeah. If you're going on the BYK. Josh, you want to come forward too? And our leaders. Lord, we're thankful for prayer. You invite us You invite us not simply to listen, but to speak. Truly, Lord, you could say all you need to do is listen. That you say, cast your cares upon me. If you're sick and in need of healing, bring those needs to me. Pray for your neighbors, your friends, your enemies, your family. Bring these things before me. You, you invite us to be your intercessors, your priest. In a world that needs priests, intercessors, you invite us to pray for those around us. Lord, I confess that there's been times in my life when I've been too busy, too preoccupied to pray. Lord, can we call that what it is? It's missing the mark. It's missing the call. It's missing your desire for us. It's sin. Lord, I confess and I ask you to forgive me for those times when I've been so preoccupied and busy, when I've been so angry at someone else that I haven't prayed. Lord, give me eyes that see people like you see people. Lord, help me to see those people as your sons and your daughters as those that you've chosen, as those that you dearly love, as people that Jesus came to die for. Help me to see past the brokenness, to see your desire for them to live wholly as kingdom people. Lord, our teens have an opportunity this week to express this in a mission trip, to be your image bearers, to be your kingdom come people. I pray, Lord, for them, that, that they will bring your peace, that they will bring your kingdom, that they will see you at work, and it will, it will transform not only the community that they're, they're serving, but it will transform them. That when they come back from a mission trip, 
it'll make them so mission-minded that they're mission-minded at home. They're mission-minded at school. They're mission-minded on their sports teams, in their clubs, in their neighborhoods. Lord, may this not just be an opportunity to have a good time. May it be a good time. May they fellowship together and love one another. But Lord, we're praying that in this trip, transformation will occur. And Lord, they're going to come back and they're going to give you the glory for what you've done in them and through them in this coming week. Be with our leaders. Protect them and guide them. Give them discernment, Lord. Help them to lead well. Lord, may this not just be a prayer for our teens, but may this be a prayer for us. You don't have to go on a mission trip to be on mission. You don't have to do something special to be about our Father's business. Help us, Lord, to see the opportunities. Help us to be prayerful about it. And Lord, may your kingdom come. As we leave, may you receive this and give the same blessing as you go. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless folks.